uh, as Richard mentioned, uh, Alex and I are good buddies, so I'm very grateful for the opportunity that he asked me to come and be with you all this morning. And uh, I was telling Richard earlier, I've been here before, but it's been a long time. I think it was uh, when we all were still meeting and your Sunday worship on Sunday evening, so it's neat to be here on, uh, on a Sunday morning and see how just the church has grown. And uh, I'll, I'll just mention, too, Richard said that I uh, work for RUF. Uh, some of you all probably don't even know what that is. Uh, RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and if you know Roy and Emily Hubbard, they're sitting in the back. Roy does the same thing I do. He's at Alabama a and I'm at UAH. So if you haven't met them, I encourage you. I encourage you to meet Roy and Emily. Roy and Emily Roy's become a good friend of mine as well. Um, if you have your Bible open to Mark chapter 4, we're going to be looking at two parables from the Gospel of Mark. Um, kind of, I guess a way that I would introduce what we're going to be talking about, I think there's a lot of misunderstandings we have about how God's kingdom grows. I think uh, very often we have these expectations and it's going to grow in these huge, vast, just, you know, kind of uninhibited ways. And often, God's kingdom grows differently than that. And these two parables that we're going to look at speak to that and speak to the fact that God's kingdom grows differently than we often expect. Um, there's a movie that I, I kind of want to use to introduce what we're going to be talking about this morning. It's rather recent, uh, the movie Invictus. It was uh, directed by Clint Eastwood. And it tells the story of Nelson Mandela's first uh, term as president of South Africa. It was right after apartheid ended, and Nelson Mandela obviously had a big task in front of him, trying to bring change, restoration, healing to a country that had been just torn to pieces by this terrible idea called apartheid. But the movie shows how he went about this in a very different way. It was very non-conventional way of pursuing change in South Africa. He utilized the national rugby team as really a way to bring about the change that was necessary. And this team was, it was biracial and it was a symbol of pride for the people of South Africa. And he knew if he could get the, the people of South Africa to believe in this team, that it would have a great motivating, great unifying effect among the people of South Africa. He knew that because of what it represented, it, could restore the people's pride in their country again. They could believe in themselves again. It could unify the people. And obviously it was a different way of bringing about this change. A lot of people, a lot of politicians would probably think, no, all you need to do is just, you know, use heavy-handed political measures. Just, you know, have some drastic policy changes. That'll bring change. And obviously that can work, but Mandela thought, I think we can do this in a very different way. And so he believed that if he would utilize this team and get the people to believe in it, that change could happen, but it might be on a very different case. He knew that the effect that this team could bring would at first be very small. It was an awful team and had just had a terrible record, and it would take a long time before this team would begin to have victories and before the people would believe in it and believe in themselves again. He knew that it, it might take a long time as well. It might be a while before the people would start to realize kind of what it represented for them and how it could be a source for uni unity among the people. And he also knew that the change it would bring might not always be noticeable. 
outwardly, the country might not begin to get back on its feet economically or politically, but in people's lives, small changes would begin to happen as they would have a sense of dignity in being South Africans again. Well, just like Nelson Mandela sought for South Africa, Jesus is coming to our world to bring change, to bring healing. His kingdom is reclaiming what has been lost in this world to sin, what has been lost because of the fall into sin. And his reign is breaking into our world to restore our world to what it was before the fall into sin. And we see this happening on a cosmic level. We see broken political systems. We see a whole society's changed. But we also see this happening on an individual level as he changes our individual hearts. And that's really how God's kingdom grows. It grows as he changes individual hearts. It grows only as he changes individual lives. But as we know all too well, our hearts don't often change the way we would like them to. They can be very stubborn, very slow, very resistant to the work of the gospel in our lives. We put up many barriers that prevent lasting fruit, lasting change from happening. And often when we look at the world around us, whether on a cosmic level or when we look at our own lives, it seems like change just isn't happening the way the gospel promises that it will. Why is this? Well, I think Nelson Mandela knew something. He knew that change often happens in very different ways. And it happens on a very different pace than we might expect. God's kingdom grows the same way. It often grows very differently than we would expect, than we might even hope. And just as Mandela saw in South Africa, we're going to see in these parables that God's kingdom grows from small to large. It grows slowly. It grows from the hidden to the revealed. In other words, the growth might be unnoticeable at times. But it grows inevitably. And we're going to look at two parables, two parables that Jesus is teaching his, his disciples about how his kingdom grows. And we'll see these four realities in there about how his kingdom grows. I think these are important things to remember, especially at Christmas time, as we think about you know, how his kingdom began to grow. It didn't come in some military might, as many of the Jews thought. He didn't come overtaking the Romans and restoring this kingdom to this grandeur that the people had hoped. It started rather small with a baby in a manger. And it took years for him to grow, for him to be crucified and resurrected. And even now, as his kingdom grows to the world, it, it's happened quite differently than people long ago might have thought. As we look at these parables, I want to remind you that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so the most important metaphors in this story that we're going to look at, the most important is a seed. And in these two parables, a seed represents God's kingdom in the world. We're going to see how his kingdom grows by looking at the image of a seed. Before we read the scripture passage, I just want to say, too, I'm indebted to Paul Hahn. He's a PCA pastor in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I've heard him speak on this passage before, and his explanation was very good. So a lot of my ideas are his ideas. So let's read this now. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 26 through 34. 
follow along with me as I read it. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He reads in verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word that it is given that we might know you better. We thank you that it is that it is without error, Lord. And Lord, we ask now that as we sit under it, that you would teach us from it. We ask that you would show us how your kingdom grows, and Lord, that we would be changed people because of this time sitting under your word. Lord, I ask that your spirit would guide my words, and I ask that it would apply the truth of this passage to each of our hearts, that you would teach us this passage and teach us what it means for our lives. We pray this, Lord, for your name's sake. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing we're going to see about how God's kingdom grows is that it grows from small to large. Both of these parables are obviously about seeds, and the seeds start out very small. And in this second parable, in verse 30 through 34, we see that a mustard seed, as verse 31 says, is the smallest, or excuse me, the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. But both parables are about seeds that grow. In the first parable, in verse 26 through 29, the seed grows into an ear of grain. And in the second parable, in verse 30 through 34, we see that the mustard seed becomes the largest tree, as the passage says, and it puts out branches that birds may come and nest in them. That's how God's kingdom has grown. The presence of his kingdom started very small, but it grew to be very large. It started with Jesus and his 12 disciples, and it's grown to now be what is the largest religion in the world. That's why the mustard seed is such an appropriate metaphor. It's small, at first, but its potential is enormous. One scholar, Craig Blomberg, said this about this passage. He said, the mustard seed illustrates the potential of enormous growth resulting from even tiny, inauspicious beginnings. And if you think about it, the whole story of history is God saving a people for himself. It's a people that started out as a very small number when we look at Genesis, but a number that is God promised Abraham will grow to be as numerous as the stars of the sky. That's often how God operates. His work begins very, very small, but then it grows. And we need to recognize this in our own lives. And we need to recognize this when we look at the world around us. 
often don't. If we're honest, when we look at our lives, we often want the results we want, and we want them now. Thank God I've been praying this for years and years, and I'm not seeing my prayers come to what I would like them to be. I'm not seeing those prayers come to fruition. Why can't I see this request answered in the way I want it right now? When we have this attitude, we're kind of like an, an athlete who's wanting to increase his strength. He wants to immediately be able to bench press 350 pounds. And so this athlete will go into the weight room and you know just start with 350 pounds and just tear his arms to shreds and not be able to do it. He has to realize that he's not going to be able to bench press his final goal in the first few weeks of working out. He has to start with small increases of weight and work up. He needs to recognize he has to start small for real growth to occur. And that's often the way it is in God's kingdom. Things start small, but with that small start, small steps are taken and his kingdom grows. Our lives are changed little by little. It might look like one small step towards showing forgiveness towards a friend who has hurt you rather than harboring the bitterness and the anger and the resentment that's always been there. Just a small step towards beginning to show forgiveness and beginning to really understand what that looks like in our hearts. Or it might be one small step in our battle against our fear of man. Beginning to just little by little break out of those patterns and being consumed by what other people think about us rather than recognizing that we have the king of kings approval and living according to that. It might be just one small step of beginning to no longer live for people's opinions and their approval, but living in the freedom of knowing our God loves us unconditionally. Or it might be just a small step in beginning to see our children begin to understand what it means and what and to express their need for a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe just a beginning, just a start to their being able to articulate that, being able to express their need for that. Change often happens very small. But another thing we see in this passage is that change often happens slowly. Both parables are about seeds that grow slowly. In the first parable, in verse 27, we read that the farmer who scatters the seed sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. It's a process that takes time. Obviously, a tree doesn't grow up overnight, but it takes many days for that seed to germinate and then to sprout through the soil and then for eventually a, a trunk to grow and branches to come from that. It takes many, many days for that to happen. In the second parable, obviously, this mustard seed doesn't go from being a tiny seed to the largest tree in the garden. To grow to be that large, it takes a long time. We often ask, why is the world so broken? Why do we hear these news reports of people just being brutal towards each other? Why do we hear of wars and just terrible things that people do to one another, not only in far corners of the world, but in our own city? Why does that happen? Maybe we look at our own lives and we look at our own battles, our own sin that we battle against. We think, why does this continue to plague me? Why can't I just break free from that? I think an 
answer is that the growth of God's kingdom takes time. Two of the ways that the scripture describes the growth of God's kingdom is recovery and restoration. Those are two metaphors that we often see throughout scripture. When we think about recovery, we see that God's kingdom growing is his recovering what has been lost from the fall and the sin. When we think about restoration, it's God's kingdom growing is his restoring the world to what it was intended to be before the fall and the sin. When we think about these descriptions of, of kingdom growth, think about recovery first. Recovery takes a long time. When a pitcher injures his arm and has to have shoulder surgery, let's say, it takes a long time before he's able to throw at the original speed he could, before he has that speed, that accuracy, before he is able to go back onto the mound and start a game again. It takes time to recover that strength that he once had. It's the same way with God's recovery of what has been lost to sin. Sure, he could recover everything in an instant, and he could do that. He could restore the world to what it was before the fall. But there is great beauty in the process of using us, his people, to be his agents of restoration and of recovery, to see us recover those things that have been lost in the world. Think about the recovery of, of sexuality in our culture. Our culture has lost its understanding of what sexuality was intended for, what it's supposed to look like. But we can live and model before our world what it's supposed to be. We can help our culture recover a proper understanding of sexuality and why God created us with sexual beings. But that takes time. Do we live that and model that? It takes time for people be, to begin to grasp that. It takes time for even our own hearts, our brokenness, our dysfunction sexually, to be able to live with that and to live out what that's supposed to look like again. Well, as I said, another description of, what, of how God's kingdom grows is restoration. That also takes time. Maybe you know people who have restored old cars. It takes a, a long time to say, take a, an old 57 Chevy that's rusted and been sitting in a junkyard and has just kind of been deteriorating. It takes a long time to restore it to the beauty it once had to you know, put new upholstery in put a new paint job on to put those white wall tires on again. That doesn't just happen overnight, but if you know people that have restored old cars, it often takes months, if not years, a lot of hours of labor seeing that restored. A great picture of, of God's restoration, I know, in my life, um, there's a neighborhood not too far from where I grew up in, in St. Louis. Um, it was called the Etzel neighborhood. It was a very rough neighborhood, um, and I was privileged. There was a number of churches uh, close by that really spent a lot of time working in that neighborhood. When I was a high school student, I was with a few groups that uh, did different work projects there. And then later when I was in seminary in St. Louis, uh, I took some college students, and we, uh, on a couple different occasions, spent time in the Etzel neighborhood. And to see where it was in high, when I was in high school to where it was when I was in seminary, it was in a very different place, and God had done some incredible things in that neighborhood. But that was years of work. That was years of people working and praying for that neighborhood, of people 
investing their time and their energy to see it become what God wanted it to be, to see it restored to what a healthy neighborhood should look like. It's a process to see that happen. It was a process to see the patterns of neglect and abuse that had just gone on in people's lives there, to see that finally restored to what God wanted it to be. Sometimes we have to wait to see change. Sometimes it takes a long time. We don't like that. But really, that's what faith is all about. We need to believe that. We need to know that even if we don't see the results right away, that those things are happening. We need to believe what Philippians 1 says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That truth, maybe that intersects in our lives when we think about some of the, the struggles we face. Maybe it's you're starting to understand slowly that your acceptance is found in God's grace and his acceptance of you, not your own effort, not your own morality. For many of us, that takes a long time. and It can be a slow process of breaking out of those patterns of living as though God accepts us because of our goodness. He's saying that's a lie. He accepts us because Jesus has died for us and has made us perfect in God's eyes. Maybe it's, we can see that by slowly seeing victory in our patterns of worry and anxiety, of little by little learning to trust that God is in control of all things, not our own, our own efforts and our own management of our time and our resources, but beginning to trust, God, you are in control. I know that's a battle for me. And often it seems just little steps and life gets stressful and beginning to recognize, God, you are in control slowly beginning to, to realize that more and more in my life. The third thing we see about how God's kingdom grows is that it grows from the hidden to the revealed. Again, in both of these parables, we see that both in the parable of the seed growing and the mustard seed, that the seed is buried underground. <clears throat> its initial growth is something that we can't see. It's imperceptible to the eye. Obviously, when that seed is, seed is underground, it's starting to grow. It's starting to sprout into a plant, but nobody can see that. It's happening beyond our perception. That's often how God's kingdom grows. It grows, but it's hidden to us. Things are happening, but we just simply don't see it. We need to take great delight in that. When we first moved into our home, when we moved to Huntsville, uh, Apparently, there had been mold growing for a long time, probably just under the surface of the wall in our bathroom. It was above the shower where, you know, obviously water got there a lot. Um, but it wasn't until after we had been in our home for several weeks, I think, that all of a sudden that mold grew from under the surface to out on the surface where we could see it. And it became very obvious, oh, wow, there's mold growing across our wall. And like I said, of course that didn't happen how we had to pay for it because. But it had probably been there for a long time growing under the surface. Probably had been there for maybe months before we moved in. It just so happened that it wasn't perceptible to our eyes until after we bought the home. And that's how God's kingdom grows. Things are often happening under the surface, but we don't see it. 
But change is often happening. It's just imperceptible to us. We may not see what's going on in someone's heart, but that does not mean that God is at work there. He very well might be. It just hasn't been obvious to our eyes yet. Maybe you've prayed for a non-believing coworker or a family member, and you just feel like, I don't think they're getting the gospel. Are they ever going to grasp this? Is real change ever going to happen? Just because we can't see it doesn't mean God isn't at work. That person may very well be starting to grasp their need for the gospel. Or maybe someone you've prayed for who knows Jesus. You've prayed, God, free them from these patterns of sin. Free them from the idols they're living for. Free them from the emptiness that's just controlling their life. And you might not see yet how those, those prayers are being answered. You might not see their lives changing. But God may be at work. He may be freeing them from the lies they've been telling themselves. It wasn't always that obvious that God was at work in the neighborhood in, in Etzel, this neighborhood in St. Louis that I was talking about. Signs of neglect were obvious. You could just see as you would walk through the neighborhood that there had obviously been great sin, great brokenness in people's lives that had come out and had been manifested. It was obvious to see. But even before it became obvious to our eyes, God was at work. He was removing just the hateful attitudes in people's lives. He was delivering people from the cycles of addiction, from the abuse that was probably rampant in many homes in that neighborhood. And eventually, that could be seen on the outside. Eventually, you could see that people were getting their lives together again. And you could see this neighborhood beginning to, to have pride in itself again. But that, that wasn't obvious for probably years and years. But God was at work. He was doing incredible things there. There's something else we need to see about the reality about how the kingdom grows from the hidden to the, re to the revealed. In John 12, Jesus talks about how a seed must be buried in the ground. In other words, it must be hidden for a harvest to come, for a tree to rise. And in that passage, when Jesus talks about this, this seed, growing from an underground seed to a tree, he's actually talking about his own life. He's saying that he must be buried in the ground for a tree to rise, for a harvest to come, for his kingdom to grow. And one ancient scholar, Maximus of Turin, said it's clear that Christ is talking about himself. He's talking about that he's a seed when he suffers in his crucifixion and his death, but he's a tree when he rises. In other words, Jesus is buried in the ground, and when he is resurrected from the dead, he becomes that tree. And the awesome thing is that in that passage, Jesus is really setting an example for our lives of how growth happens. He's showing us that, yeah, you, in order for growth to occur, you might need to take the path that I did, the path of humiliation, the path of suffering. He went into the ground and took that path of humiliation for us. And everyone who's a follower of Jesus is called to follow his example. We're called to do this often humbling, often hard, sacrificing work that requires a lot of suffering. We're called to do that in order to see his kingdom grow. We're called to do the humble, often
often unseen task that he often calls us to. Maybe it means serving in some obscure, some unknown way that nobody's ever going to see, nobody's ever going to say thank you for, that you're never going to get credit for. You may never hear you know, those words of thank you for what you're doing. But that work is necessary for his kingdom to grow. That's often the work that Jesus did. He wasn't always just out preaching and teaching with crowds following him. But he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in the middle of the night. He was leading his disciples, doing things, teaching them things that they often wouldn't respond to. Doing things, loving them in ways that they never even saw many times. They never even were thankful for. But he still did that work. And that's what we're called to do. You can probably all think of that person in your life who selflessly loves and serves and yet gets no credit for it. That person is someone who understands this example that Jesus has set for us. That's the unseen, the hidden work of the kingdom. The work that no one often notices, but is still happening. That's what we're called to strive for, is to do that kind of work often. might not be obvious to other people, but as we're behind the scenes serving, as we're doing the things, as you're doing the things in this church, the tasks that no one else really notices but are necessary to see the ministry of this church flourish. As you do that and no one else notices, that is a picture of God's kingdom growing. That's a picture of what must happen for his kingdom to accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish in this world. Well, the last thing we'll briefly see about how his kingdom grows is that it grows inevitably. Look at the end of our first parable, the parable of the seed growing in verse 26 to 29. The emphasis here is not on the farmer who's spreading the seed and who's doing his work. The emphasis in that parable is that the seed grows no matter what this farmer does. And that is a very comforting truth. It says the farmer sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, but he knows not how. The truth there is the kingdom will sprout and grow. It will overcome opposition, and it will establish itself. Really, it doesn't matter that much what this farmer does. It doesn't matter how gifted he is or how wise he is, how well he knows the Bible. It just matters that he's faithful, and even when he's unfaithful, God's kingdom is going to grow. Even in our inability, even in our weakness, God's kingdom is growing. And we need to remember that. Colossians 1 reminds us that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing all around the world. Even in our brokenness, even in our inability, God is at work. He's at work in very stubborn, very cynical hearts like yours and mine. He's at work in our lives. And he's even using us in all of our weakness to grow his kingdom all around the world. He can work in our hearts, in our lives. He can overcome anything. He can see his kingdom grow and bear fruit all around the world, as Colossians 1 tells us. We need to remember this. Often as we doubt, and as we lose patience because of how slow it seems, it seems the kingdom is growing, we need to remember that he is at work, that he can convince us, that he can overcome our doubts, 
our doubts about him, our doubts about the promises of Scripture. And we go, I don't, I don't want to believe that. That just doesn't seem to be coming true in my life. He can remind us repeatedly, this is true. And we can begin to believe that more and more. He can deliver us from bondage to sin, deliver us from the addictions that we deal with. He can end brutal injustices in the dark corners of this world. He is doing that as his scripture promises. He is doing that even through our inability, even through our weakness. As we've seen, the kingdom often grows in very small ways. It often grows slowly. And it often grows in ways that we can't necessarily see. And it happens because our hearts often grow in that way. The kingdom of God grows in a different process than we might expect. You all, I know in my life, I know it's true for you, you face battles. And it just might seem like change isn't happening. Like God isn't at work in you. But be encouraged. He is. Be patient, persevere, and keep fighting. Know that his kingdom is at work in your heart, and it is at work throughout the world. Even when it seems like change is slow, be encouraged. Know that his kingdom will grow, that it will overcome anything, that the gospel is bearing fruit all around the world. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you would remind us of this. Lord, we need to pray more. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Because your kingdom is coming and your will will be done even if it happens differently than we think it will. Lord, it might happen at times in smaller ways. Change might happen more slowly. And we might not always see the difference immediately. But Lord, remind us. Give us faith that your kingdom is growing. Give us patience. Give us perseverance. Lord, enable us to be people of strong faith who fight to see your kingdom kingdom grow, who in dependence on your grace pursue change in our own lives and pursue it wherever you call us. Lord, for we know that you are at work, that your kingdom is growing. So Lord, we ask that your kingdom would come that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name.